I've had to kind of embrace the fact that I am a carer now. It's really hard to kind of get your head around that. And the feminist voice in my head is screaming, don't give up your career. But actually what I want to do is try and make it work for me rather than me trying to change it. Welcome to Women Are Mad, where we invite women to bring their anger into everyday conversation. We're all feeling it. Let's get together to work out what to do with it. I'm Jennifer Cox. And I'm Salima Saxton. Riddle me this, Salima, with your Cambridge degree and your excellent brain. Why have countless successive governments failed to solve the caring problem of this country? When you say this country, you mean Britain. I mean Britain because I've got the numbers for Britain. Because they're bastards. I'm mean, sorry to be cynical. You know that I have the answer because I've got a sheaf of papers in front of me that I'm rattling away. There are 1.25 million sandwich carers in the UK as recorded. And we know sandwich carers is somebody caring for an older relative as well as a young family. Now, I know for a fact that the actual number is higher because so many people don't think of caring as an identity. No. Instead, they think of it as just a natural part of life or, you know, an obligation, which is partially why the government conveniently hasn't gotten to grips with providing a real solution. The other reason is that 68% of these sandwich carers, remember, these are just the recorded numbers, are women. And women are not permitted to speak up about their dissatisfaction or rage. They'd be seen as uncaring, as cruel, shirking their responsibilities. But if you put the problem back to these women who are voiceless, it sort of sorts the whole thing out. It's gone under the carpet, we can leave it there. And that's the answer to my riddle me re. Okay, well, thank you for answering your riddle, Miri. Mm. Well, I'm very pleased that we're doing this special episode actually this week then. in aid of For Carers, Carers week. week. Yes. Yeah. So we, we must say this is a British thing, isn't it? Mm. It's the first week of June mm-hmm. every year, mm-hmm. National Carers Week. So who have we got with us today? So our first guest is Penny Winsor. She's an acclaimed author. She's a book coach. She's a podcaster herself of the brilliant, brilliant pod, Not Too Busy to Write. She's a parent and she's a carer. Oh, and she's recently swapped hometowns actually with our fellow guest, Charlotte Adorian. Charlotte hosts the brilliant Village Lantern podcast, and she's recently moved with her family from London to Melbourne. Both her children, Essie and Woody, have autism. And as a family, they've launched Woodism, which is an award-winning art collaboration between Woody and his dad, who has turned Woody's unique phrases into liner cut prints. And my particular favourite one is, I love you all the way to the end of counting. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, we much appreciate it. Mm. Shall we dive straight in? I'll, I'll go with the first question, the first formal question. What makes you angry, Penny and Charlotte? You should go first, Penny. Go for it. I've been really surprised, actually, by how the older I get, the angrier I get about everything. There is this narrative, I think, that as you get older, you get, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, I don't give any fucks anymore. 
actually, you know, I do give a fuck. I give a fuck about a lot of things. And so, of course, that means lots of things make you really angry. You know, the more life experience we have, the more injustice we see around us. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Charlotte? Yes. I mean, this whole kind of angry women thing is if you're not angry, isn't there that quote, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention or something. And I feel like the people that aren't angry are probably the men, to be honest, (laughs) or they're the ones. Yeah. <laughs> or they're the ones that don't directly Engage. get affected by um, issues that we are facing. Uh, well, do you think life? that it's actually that there were women who, many women, I would say, who uh, sort of forgot to get angry and and never developed and, and weren't encouraged to develop a vocabulary for it? So it just sort of stays there in a, in a nice little package kind of under the surface. And normally gets conveniently diagnosed as something else like anxiety like depression you know like migraines and yeah. this is the whole this is why we've started this essentially is because yeah. there's there's so much mistaken rage out there also it's been interesting some of the response actually because some people have gone you you've never struck me as an angry person Slima. i think we're all much more multifaceted and able to express anger in many, many different ways. Mm-hmm. And actually, if we all were all listening and paying attention to every other human where we could, I think we would all connect with some kind of anger within us. Mm-hmm. Which brings me yeah. to it being National Carers Week, actually, as well. But Charlotte, continuing on with what you were initially saying, would any of that anger come with navigating being a carer um, as well as being a parent as well as being a woman well I think it's funny because I've had quite a kind of lesson from my autistic kids on you know they really hate unfairness like their their gauge for unfairness is really solid um they hate being wronged and to be honest a lot of my rage comes from the world not like being a kind of level playing field and if you add in things like being an unpaid carer or the fact that, you know, I'm I'm a copywriter in advertising and by trade and it's a very male-dominated world. And, you know, when I left my job, my boss, I remember him saying, you know, uh, when I think of a word to describe you, I think angry. And I was like, oh, my God, like my 22-year career and this is the one word that and I thought, well, yes, because it was never a level, level playing field and mm. I was always – pissed off because I was like I'd never got the good briefs or I was always having to say well why am I doing a four-day week now I've got children when the dads when they start having babies they don't put their hands up for a four-day week you know why like what do they not want to see their children who's looking after their children so I've always worked for myself well since I was like 24 I've worked for myself and I went when I went on, I say this very loosely, maternity leave. I did not take maternity leave really with either of my two children. But it was interesting because I was spending a lot of time with other women who were on maternity leave. Right. Um, because I met through my local neighborhood. I lived in this fantastic inner London neighborhood where we had organized our own kind of meetups. There was loads of stuff going on. Um, and I made some really good friends that year because there were women around, which was awesome because they were taking maternity leave. I was not jealous of them one bit because I was dipping in and out, doing a bit of work, coming back and hanging out with them, hanging out with my child, going back to work, doing a bit of back and forth. It was great. It was the dream, basically. Mm. And they all went from really intense, full-on careers to looking after a baby 24-7. First of all, I was not 
jealous of that, that ex- okay. those, those two extremes. <laughs> and then they were having to make the choice between uh, going part-time and basically still having to do the same job because otherwise they would never get anywhere in their career but earning way less money or they would go back full-time and they would spend all their money on care for their mm-hmm. child mm-hmm. and also feel really, really, really guilty and also not really want to be away five days a week from their child either. I just felt like there was no good choices there. It just felt like that was the, what, what choices any of those. And if you take if you if you take the time, then you take the hit. Your career takes the hit yeah. because you lose all of those years while everyone yeah. else is still kind of slogging away trying to make it work. Absolutely, and um, I mean, even I, you know, I was so much more affected financially by having kids than I thought I was going to be. I was the higher earner. I'm not married anymore, but at the time, I was the higher earner per day, and. I thought, well, that well, that means that I we prioritize me and my work. And then we did it first, and then slowly over time, and second child, suddenly, you know, it's I'm not quite so much of a priority anymore, even though I was the higher earner initially. And I think that's actually really, really common as well. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it's what I didn't understand when I was a younger woman was the hit not just in going part-time, but the massive hit you take on your career for the rest of your career by slowing down a bit at that point, but also on your pension. You know, the difference between women's and men's pensions is the pension cap is unbelievably huge, frighteningly huge. Yes. Um, And it's because of the care work that women do. It's Mm. so true. And then the care work that we do later at the end of the career because... The it numbers there stop. are still so Yeah, it stop yeah. With children. I mean, yeah. obviously, you know, Charlotte and I have disabled children who will require more support. But even if you don't have that and your children grow up, it's very likely that if you are the one at home caring for children, you're very likely to be the one that steps in when mum and dad and mum and dad-in-law need that support because, well, you've already worked part-time for years, so why wouldn't you step up and do that? You know, there's no kind of... There's no catching up from that. You become the go-to person at that point. I, I think also the lack of catching up, it comes down to identity and confidence, right? Now, having stepped out uh, as an actor for well, quite a few years when I, my three kids were young, launching myself back in has required like, well, a kind of iron will inside, you know, kind of rhino skin and... And I just keep thinking, well, you know, just just now or now or never. So then I kind of oscillate between like wild, abandoned enthusiasm for what's going to happen and, and is happening, and panic. Yeah, I think it's underestimated the impact of taking either either slowing down or taking a break from a career on what that does to you and what that does to other people's view of you. Mm. Um, I was a photographer for many years. And when I first mm. had children, that's what, that was my, my job. Um, and it is actually a very masculine role. You know, there are now quite a few female photographers, but actually when I started out in the system, there was hardly any, even in like, you know, in the early 2000s, there was only just, they were only just coming up. And I, was the one that definitely on set, I worked with loads of women, but I was the one on set who had the kind of traditionally masculine role. And so when I had my second child, I do feel like I disappeared. People assumed I wouldn't work. I lost work because mm. people just didn't ask me because I'd had a second child. I'd love to know where your ambitions both lie for both of you right now. Have you got strong, personal, penny, Charlotte, unrelated to anybody else ambitions? 
It's very interesting because I've changed my entire life. I've moved from, you know, London where I was born. I think I only ever lived a mile from where I was born to literally the other side of the world. And I'm in Penny's hometown, weirdly, and she's amazing. in mine now. Which is, and I've changed everything. And to be honest, it's weird because you, you want to cling on to things that you knew and loved. And I, you know, I had this, I've got this career in advertising that was 22, 23 year career that, you know, I worked bloody hard for, but the whole time I was fighting a system that wasn't set up for me to be in. So nice. yes, it's quite a male madman kind of vibe and people would say it's changed a lot, but not if you've got, you know, children or anyone with additional needs that you need to care for or any of that. So the women that I'm meeting, I'm meeting so many amazing women that have got insane careers and they've, you know, had to become carers and they've had to reinvent their, how they work. And maybe that's where the multi-hyphen method has come from, why mm. so many women have lots of strings to their bows now, because to be honest, we can't put all our eggs in one basket anymore because we need flexibility to the point of breaking. I mean, we never know day to day. Like this morning, I was woken up by my daughter at 2 a.m. and that was the day. So if I had to go off and do you know, a day in an advertising agency coming up with amazing ideas and writing brilliant stuff and presenting to clients, I'd be a dribble of a person and no one would get the best of me. So it's really difficult, but mm. I've had to kind of, now I've changed my entire world. I mean, I don't seem to do anything by halves, but changing my entire world, it's like maybe I need to reinvent my what I see as success. Great. And actually for me now is being able to give my kids time. They need me now way more than they did. I think this is the issue when you've got children who have the disability is it doesn't necessarily get easier the older they get. Often it can get harder and you're needed more. You know, I'm now dealing with lots of mental health issues, things I never thought I would have to deal with as a mum. There's none of this in the kind of baby books about how do you talk to your child who wants to, you know, kill themselves. It's really difficult. So you got to be there. You can't be like, sorry, I've got to go off to a meeting about, you know, a chocolate bar and sell a chocolate bar to millions of people. It's really difficult. And so not only is my ambition changed from being about, uh, you know, me, it's like I've got to, yes, I need to make money for them because they're going to need financial stability growing up. But mm -hmm. actually, it's almost like, where do I put my energy? Like I have such little energy left. Mm -hmm. for the bit that needs to make me money that actually I'm like why am I giving it to huge multi multi corporations who are going you know I'm going to make billions off your ideas mm -hmm. whereas I'm getting an ulcer and a you know a, a child who's sobbing and needs me it's really difficult mm -hmm. so it's a bit of an epiphany for me. It's a silencing that's the problem. You know, if yeah. if what you choose to do is this, if these are your priorities, then you must be allowed those priorities and people need to hear them and listen to them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's that because yeah. a lot of carers' voices just get squashed because A, we're really, really tired. B, no one really wants to hear it. You know, they're like, well, oh, that sounds really hard. Poor thing. Anyway, cool. I'm just going to pop off to. Well, uh, that's you know, why you tennis. got called angry, I think, is because it was it was so. really unwanted. Yeah. And you kind of, if you explained it to people, 
A, they would just be like, shit, this person's moaning. And you're like, no, no, I just need to get across why today is quite a hard day or, you know. And that's why I think a lot of, you know, coming to the other side of the world, weirdly, I've kind of formed this kind of underbelly of carers that, you know, my kindred spirits, and they're all from all walks of life. It's, it's. I mean, the other day I was in the supermarket and this, I got this scream across from the, from the, uh, the other escalator, Charlotte, I need you. And I was like, who is this? And it was um, a friend of mine who's, she's like a, you know, a Jewish mom with two autistic children. And, you know, there's me in my kind of leisure wear. And she's in, you know, she's completely different. We're very different people. I'm not religious. And she's like, I need you. And she's like, fell into my arms sobbing. And she's like, I can't do this anymore. And we had like a moment in the supermarket and everyone was like kind of going around us and I was like you can do this you're amazing you know she she her day was basically spent going to be spent you know coaxing one of her children off the sofa to you know even eat you know because she her kids had just were in rock bottom burnout autistic burnout was just I'm learning all about it it's quite a full-on thing Mm. and you know we had this moment and then we kind of buoyed each other up and then off she went and I thought you know these are my people these are my people who you don't even need to, there's no rage anymore. The anger's gone. It's like, we don't have time for anger. We're too tired for the anger. It's just, I need you, help me. Here's what you need. So she, like last week, this week I was in bed with flu. I texted her and said, I'm dying of flu. And she's like, I'm bringing a bolognese. You know, it's literally like, not like, what What do you need? I'm, I'm so sorry, you're right. You know, it's like, what do you need? This is what I'm going to do. Mm. And those are the people that get you. And it's like, oh, it's just the rage goes, the rage goes, because you're on a level playing field. Right. You're back on the field with the people that know the juggle and the struggle. There's none of this kind of, you know, she doesn't say to me like, oh, I'm so worried about little Johnny's, you know, tennis lessons. It's like, kids are not doing bloody after school activities like like everyone else you know it's like there's none of that kind of stuff I can't relate to we're just on a level playing field and I think that's when my anger goes and that's when I feel almost weirdly at my most peace and my most Mm. me and that's a new thing that's only just happened recently since moving to the other side of the world maybe I've you know when you have to make new friends you make brand new friends that are your kindred spirits a bit more maybe at this age 46 years old or however old I am (laughs) have you found both of you that um your support systems or your friendships even have shifted what as you become carers yourselves or you know have surprisingly surprising people entered your life or surprising people left even I suppose but uh, what you know what shifted I mean, what's amazing that I've found is some friends here who are kind of my husband's from Melbourne. So that's why we moved. And then we've got some he's got some really old, wonderful friends. And, you know, often it's people who've got children who are similar to our own, who we kind of connect with. And but his friends, there's only a few that have that. And Mm -hmm. there's one kind of friendship group in particular. And like they've gone out of their way to to learn about uh the type of autism that my children have, which is PDA, pathological demand avoidance, which is a specific type of presentation of autism. And they, you know, these friends have gone out of their way to learn about that so they can support us. And things like that, you just go, well, that's pretty fucking special. Like, that is a proper friend who, Mm. because we can't just leave our kids with anyone. And they're like, now I know they've, 
read up on it and they know they're really empathetic and they're like, we'll take whatever comes. We can leave our kids with them and they're not flinching uh, at the situation and they've, cause they know they've got the backstory behind it. They've got all the, yeah. you know, the articles and they follow the same people as me on Instagram and wow, it's amazing. Done the work. That's, a, mm. that's yeah, they've done the work. And I think mm. that's it. The amount of work I've done to just understand my children. And of course, why would everyone else have to do that? It's, but good friends you, will. You don't normally have yeah, to do that in a friendship, you know. Mm. <laughs> um, Penny, what's been your experience? Um, it's it's been interesting actually. Like I, I one thing that's definitely happened is that because I can't, um, I don't have a flexible schedule. Our weekends are very rigid. I have to meet my son's needs, and I can't just take him to random places. He, yeah, I just I can't. So I don't really see friends with outside of my neighborhood with my kids. Um, and, that, and that started quite young where I'd just be like, you know what, let's just go out for a drink in the evening. I'll get a babysitter. You know, that's actually easier for me. It's really stressful for me to take him anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to be catching up with someone if I'm like constantly the hypervigilance, I need to keep him safe. And also he'll just, if he doesn't want to be somewhere, he will literally just scream until we leave. So there's sort of no point. So I sort of stopped doing that a really long time ago. Um, it was sort of all right when he was a toddler, but sort of beyond that, I just stopped bothering. And so I don't see my friends, my pre, the friends that don't live in my immediate neighborhood. I don't see that often. And I don't see enough, I would say for sure. Um, but not that they're not there for me or anything, but I just, just naturally that happens. I think it happens anyway when your children start school and you, you end up in these very yeah. rigid routines of school, school term time and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but so there are some people I don't see enough, but actually my, the friends that I've made in this neighbourhood and we moved here when my children were very small um, have been incredible. I didn't really make any friends at all through my son's sort of peers because, um, and he's my eldest, he's 13 now and my daughter's 11, because wherever I went with him, preschool and then school, it was just constantly about his needs. I didn't have time to chat school dates. I didn't have time. He was never invited anywhere. He never went on any play dates. He couldn't have coped with them anyway. So we were in a very outside of that world. But my daughter's only two years younger and and actually I've made the most incredible friends through her. And all of my friends I've made through her have completely embraced Arthur. I've known him since he was quite young. And, and my daughter's friends know him. Um, and, you know, to the point where I go on holiday with some of them and, you know, they help out and I can go, there's some of them, I can go around to their houses and Arthur's comfortable there. Um, and so it has, they've been amazing actually, but actually the thing that's been interesting is that I was forced to ask for that help. I was forced to, I would never, I actually hate asking. What for do anything. you mean? What do you mean you were forced to? Well, I'm a single parent. Yeah. yeah. And I literally, literally cannot do it sometimes. I cannot, I like, for instance, you know, if my daughter was invited to a birthday party when she was too young to be kind of dropped and left. I either had to bring my son with me, but if he wasn't going to cope with it, someone else had to come get her and take her. It's either that or my daughter never goes out, you know, like, so I was, I, you know, asked for things that I wouldn't have asked for if I hadn't been in that situation. I would message people, oh, who's going to so-and-so's party? Can anyone else swing by and pick up Agnes on the way? And someone would be like, yeah, sure, no problem at all. Then I'd, or I'd take her there with my son and my son maybe stopped coping after half an hour. I'd be like, I'm going to skip out. Can anyone else drop her home? And there'd be like three volunteers going, yeah, we'll drop her home. No problem. Mm. And um, we're in it, so we're in this really quite incredible community here where people just stepped up 
But I did have Amazing. to say. But you learned to ask. Yeah. I learned to ask. And actually, this comes back to probably my other caring experience. I really, 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 really hate not being independent. I really do. And part of that comes down to I was a young carer as well. Oh, okay. And I I cared for my mum when I was a teenager. And um, and if you meet and speak to any young carers, one of the things that you'll find is that they are hyper-independence. You know, I had to learn how to look after myself very, very young. And so asking for help does not come naturally, like it doesn't for a lot of women, but for mm. particularly for someone who mm. didn't, I was not, I would say, being looked after anyone by anyone for, for a lot of the time from when I was about sort of 12. And so I learned to do it myself. And so in a way, having Arthur has sort of forced me to confront that and confront actually the challenges of that. And if I if it, if he hadn't made me do it, you know, at this point, I'd be having to face that when I was older and needing to receive care myself. You know, because I think that's something about caring that we don't really talk about very much is that, you know, first of all, you know, we don't like talking about it because partly because we don't like the idea of having to receive it. And, yes. You know, we're very scared of having to receive it because we see it as something that um is uh, something that none of us wants. We talk about it as being the, you know, the worst thing in the world to go, you know, into a home where other people would care for us or to have our child constantly having to care for us. We talk mm. about this like it's horrific. And yet it's a really natural human thing to happen that we need care towards the end of our lives if we're lucky enough to live a long life. But I think there is also a real problem there because yes, there is a natural desire to care, but I think that desire is exploited in women. And I think it's interesting how many daughters step up and do that for their parents, for their aging parents. And probably, well, in fact, you it's when you look at the numbers, it's borne out, it is far fewer men and far fewer is, men I who mean, are expected to. Women are doing it at least 10 years earlier than during, men. During, during the sandwich. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and so that has a massive impact. They're often doing it for much longer, um, I think double the amount of time that men are doing it. And also uh, the, in terms of the people who are doing it for more than 35 hours a week, uh, it's 75% women. So in terms of the amount really? they're doing, yes, it is It is much more women. Isn't it that, isn't, didn't they work out that the to replace unpaid care in the UK would cost something like 162 billion pounds? I mean, I don't – well, basically the amount of money yeah. that that unpaid carers can – like in terms of the what they contribute to to the economy is the equivalent of a whole other NHS. Uh, it costs the same as running the NHS. Yeah, yeah. It's so if, uh, if there wasn't unpaid carers, the whole a whole society would collapse. Mm. It would completely exactly. collapse. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the figures are now. They're much higher because there's a lot more carers now than there was pre-pandemic. Yes. Um. So because there's a lot more people living with chronic illness now. Mm. If someone um, is if someone is a carer and they're listening to this right now. And they're struggling. Although they're beginning, although they they've begun to care for somebody, and and they don't, and it's lonely because I know just from a few friends of mine how isolating and lonely it can be. I appreciate not always, but for some, I can see how it can be. What do you do like if you need help? 
I think that the thing you have to do first is admit that that's what you're doing, that you're a carer. It can take people years to admit that that's what they're doing. They don't yeah. want to see it. I'm just a daughter. I'm just a daughter. Totally just doing, doing her job, food. doing what's expected. I'm, yeah, exactly. Mm. I'm just a parent. I'm just, you know, I'm mm. just helping out my brother or my sister. I'm just helping. It's just what people do. No, the first thing you have to do is admit that that's, you know, this is work. This is unpaid work, but it is care work and it's on top of, the relationship you have with that person and it complicates the relationship you have with that person. Um, they might hate receiving that care, for instance. You know, this is really, this can, mm. it can be a very complicated relationship. So I think the number one thing you can do, first of all, is admit that's what you're doing. Um, like with a lot of things, as soon as you kind of admit it, then you can open up to other things like maybe admitting that you might not be able to do it all on your own, um, which can be a really difficult thing because there's a lot of obviously Sometimes people, even though it's very difficult, want to be able to do it all on their own, think they should be able to do it all on their own, um, but physically can't anymore um, without some serious consequences. And so that can be a first step. What would you say, Charlotte? Yeah, um, I mean, there's also connection with people that are similar to you because silence is really dangerous. And I think, you know, Penny and I are both writers and we're obsessed with telling stories and there's a reason that women need to tell stories because otherwise it all just is really not said and yeah it gets lost oh thank you so much yeah we really we appreciate you both coming on extremely grateful yeah pleasure bye, bye guys nice to meet you <laughs> see ya bye